you for coming. Um, <clears throat> I was remembering that my mother uh, sold perfume in Macy's. She was a representative for three very high-end perfumes companies. And she would bring home perfume all the time. Uh, the house smelled like <laughs> like a, a fragrant garden uh, most of the time. Mostly heavy, sweet stuff, which um, is kind of objectionable, but uh, we humored her. Um, but I recall that there are three grades of uh, this scent. Um, and there's what is called toilet water, and then there's cologne, and then there's perfume. And the toilet water is a, a little bit of fragrance and a lot of water. And that's sort of the cheapest uh, thing you can buy. And then the cologne has a little bit more fragrance and a little less water. And that's a little more expensive. But the perfume is hardly any water. And most of and that's why it comes in these tiny little bottles. And you just need a tiny little bit of it to smell wonderful. <clears throat> and so I was thinking that this is we make perfume every Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we basically sort of distill uh, our humanity. We take all this stuff that's like water, you know, it's all this extraneous stuff that dilutes our true nature. And we move from toilet water to cologne to perfume. Just to to distill all of that um, dross, uh, that unnecessary water, and come into the essence of who we are. So I also had an image of, of um, trimming pie crust, <laughs> just sort of getting all the extra stuff off, all the stuff that's hanging over the edge. <laughs> just uh, sort of trimming that away, getting getting rid of that, and just having the the essence, just enough to hold the the fruit or whatever it is that we're filling the crust with. So um, you might say that over the course of the week, the fragrance kind of dissipates and then we come back every Sunday and make perfume again. <laughs> and that may be uh, what you do also with your practice. You, you, you get this really essential sense of who you are and then as the week progresses, uh, that fragrance of your Buddha nature begins to dissipate and you come back to your cushion to make the perfume of your true nature again and again and again because the fragrance does spread out into the universe. So thank you for, for becoming part of our Owan Perfume Company <laughs> <laughs> and uh, helping each other 
um, smell beautifully, <clears throat> smell as pure Buddhas. So today I, <laughs> I want to continue, uh, and by the way, can you um, remind me of like 15 minutes or 10 minutes, because we won't have time, uh, because we have Oriyoki practice for any discussion about this, what I'm going to talk about, so I want to leave some time for questions and comments. Last week we addressed the uh, fifth precept which is the abstaining from intoxicants um, and cultivating a clear mind. And that seems like a very obvious, straightforward precept. Don't don't drink alcohol, don't take drugs, uh, don't use intoxicants. Um, And as is often the case with these precepts, once you begin scratching the surface of the precept, you begin to see the depth that it contains and, and the wide-ranging application that it has. And so I've often asked myself, so we have no killing, no stealing, no lying, no sexual misconduct, and no intoxicants. Why was that important? To I mean, one can see no killing, no lying, no stealing. Those, you know, those are profound moral. I mean, we, we don't get that in in the Ten Commandments. We don't have any reference to intoxicants. But for Buddha, for some reason, um, this was significant enough for him to include it as one of the ten grave precepts. And if you, if you consider this deeply, you be, begin to be aware that perhaps this precept is at the foundation of all of the others. Particularly if you begin to consider the nature of an intoxicant. <clears throat> There are some obvious intoxicants, things, substances that are addictive, that cloud the mind, that take you into some sort of other state, uh, other state of being. Um, but then there are other forms of intoxicants that are equally powerful that we don't often consider as intoxicants. Like, for example, gossip. I often think, you know, what would we talk about if we, we weren't talking about other people? I mean, pay attention to your conversations. And, so, you know, we begin we begin talking about somebody else without them being there. And suddenly it becomes really, yeah, that person did this, that person did that. Uh, what, you know, we want to get updated. And, and there's this, this sort of sense of excitement at the base of gossiping. Um, anger is an intoxicant you can really get absorbed 
in anger so that it takes you, takes you to another place. So in, and I think you can, you can all, uh, food is a good one. Uh, you can really get lost in, in involved, involved in eating so that you're not even aware. You're just, you're just stuffing yourself. You're inhaling food. Um, and you somehow get lost. Um, you lose your sense of being present. Um, fundamentally, all intoxicants, all, all intoxicants take you out of the present moment. That's what they're designed to do. And one of the reasons many of us have a resistance to this precept, and a lot of people do, even Zen practitioners. Even last week we talked a little, a couple of people were here and it was, no, I have my wine every night and I like it that way. And I'm going to, or I smoke weed and... I I just like it that way, and I'm going to continue doing it. There's a real resistance to this precept, as there there wouldn't be to don't kill, don't steal, don't lie. Yeah, but I'm not going to give up my, my intoxicants, regardless of what they are. And it, it struck me as curious that there is such a resistance to this precept. Why not give up pot? Why not give up alcohol? It creates a lot of suffering uh, in, in society. These are you know, drunk driving, uh, people who are under the influence of intoxicants often break the other precepts. If your mind is not clear if you're in a state of trance, of some sort of stupor, you're much more likely to lie, to steal, to kill, to, to, to behave uh, in a way that is not sexually responsible. So intoxication is all about taking us out of what is right in front of us. And it seems like we do not want to we do not want to take away our pathway out of the present. We want to keep open the door to getting out. Because that's what intoxicants do. This present moment is not good enough. I need more fun. So I'm bored. So I got to take something. Or I'm restless. I'm going through the five hindrances. I'm restless. I need something. I don't want to be with this restlessness. I'm angry or I'm sad. I don't like this. 
I want to keep my door open. I want to take that glass of wine. I want to take that hit because I don't, I want that way out. I want that way out of this moment. Um, or I have this tremendous desire that can't be fulfilled. And so I want to feel better. So this substance makes me feel better. Or, you know, food makes me feel better. Or surfing the internet makes me feel better. Television makes me feel better. Um, anything to get out of this, it may not be painful in the sense of excruciating physical pain that you would take an intoxicant for, but it may just be boredom. It may be the pain of, like, I have nothing else to do. Or the pain of, um, I'm lonely, or I'm sad. And I, I want a pathway out of that. And so my, I suspect that the resistance to this precept has to do with, you might say, the ego's need to always think that this isn't good enough, that there's something else, some state, some state of being that is better than this and will constantly berate us about that. Yeah. This, this isn't, you know, this, this miracle of sunrise or this, this amazing leaf or this slug on the ground, you know, that's just ordinary. I need a, I need a different kind of experience. That's, that's not good enough. So the ego, the ego is saying, you know, eat more food, watch more TV, you know, smoke more pot, drink more wine. Um, So I'm, I would like to invite us to explore this precept in a deeper way. What are your intoxicants? What are those, either some substances are designed to be intoxicating and addictive? Uh, so... Those are, that's one kind of uh, intoxicant that an actual substance like a cigarette or pot or they say they're not addictive but examine that wine, beer <laughs> um, examine those, those uh, substances but then there are also activities that are intoxicating um, and take you out of the present. The one I would like to call your attention to is um, the internet and television. And my brother did me the horrible, he, it was a gift <sighs> that he gave me this, what is it, 42 inch. Television set. I have never, I haven't watched television in probably 60 years. 
until now. <laughs> and um, I went back to this text, which I used to teach <coughs> regularly. As you can see, it's kind of fa falling apart. I highly recommend this. It's called Four Arguments for the Elimination of Television by a man named Jerry Mander. Brilliant, brilliant book. You know it? Oh, no, I was laughing at Jerry Mander. Uh, Jerry Mander, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and um, I'd like to read a, a bit of it. Most Americans, whether on the political left, center, or right, will argue that technology is neutral, that any technology is merely a benign instrument, a tool, and depending upon the hands into which it falls, it may be used one way or another. There is nothing that prevents a technology from being used well or badly. Nothing intrinsic in the technology itself or the circumstances of its emergence which can predetermine its use, its control, or its effects upon human individual lives or the social and political forms around us. The argument goes that television is merely a window or a conduit through which any perception, any argument, or reality may pass. It therefore has the potential to be enlightening to people who watch it and is potentially useful to democratic processes. It will be the central point of this book that these assumptions about television as about other technologies, are totally wrong. So what he is saying is that what we are assuming about the things that we use and the activities we engage in, like wine, like pot, it's just, it's just a substance. We can use it well, or we can use it poorly. He is suggesting that that is wrong. That everything that is created is designed for a certain purpose. And technology, television in particular, and I would suggest the internet as well, is designed to become intoxicants. Its very design is determined, determines its use. So you have a, a television in, in your, like I do now, in my living room, and it sits there, and I think, well, I could turn it on or not. I have that freedom. But it sits there, and it basically, it's not just sitting there. It's saying, hi. I'm here, I can give you an escape from your boredom, or I'm here, I, look at me, I, I have present you the whole world, you know. It's, it's just as the internet, you go on there and everything starts bubbling up. 
me, me, follow me, follow me. I'll take you to the music. I'll take you to the news. I'll take you here. I'll take you there. Anywhere but the present moment. So what I'd like to encourage us to do in examining this precept is to to explore your pathways out of the present moment. Just to explore those, to watch, and to see whether you can abstain. (laughs) Not just say no, but to bring yourself back to the present moment when you feel that you're on that pathway. Because this is our practice. Our practice is here. This is good enough. This is better than anything you could possibly see on a screen. But the television and the internet says, no, no, I can give you the world. This present moment isn't good enough. Was that a signal? Yes. Okay. (laughs) So, let's open for...